Black Doctors podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. Season two provides more episodes and features a wider variety of professions. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Daughters Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. I'm privileged to be speaking this week with Dr. Derricka Alexander. She is a doctor in veterinary medicine and we're going to learn about all things animal related. Dr. Alexander, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been so excited to speak with you and, and learn about this field that I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> so can you just start with uh, telling us about yourself and, and who you are and how you came to be a veterinarian? So, well, Dr. Derricka Alexander, um, everyone calls me Dr. Alexander, and I'm from Kendall, Louisiana. It's a part of the Greater New Orleans area, so who that, so safe. And um, I currently reside in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, where I practice as a small animal general practitioner. So what's a typical day like for you? So a typical day for me is uh, getting to work between 7 and 8 a.m. Um, if it's my surgery day, then I'm there checking in my patients, um, trying to make sure the surgeries are getting checked in properly, uh, make sure that we have the proper lab work in order or make sure we're getting the lab work, trying to prep surgeries as well, helping my staff. Usually start seeing rooms right away if I don't have any surgeries. I uh, usually praying and hoping that I don't start my morning off with an emergency. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> um, so during the day, I see different types of cases that, and they vary from routine vaccine rooms to rooms where the patient's coming in, having some vomiting and or diarrhea, even to um, quality of life talks. Sometimes people come in there like, my dog is walking in circles. And I'm like, okay, that's not normal. So let's figure this out. Or mm. um, sometimes they're in and they're like, my dog coughed once this month and I'm like, okay, well, let's figure this out. And so, <laughs> you know, they can't tell us our furry animal pets can't tell us what's going on. And I'm just there to help bridge the human animal bond and help owners figure out what's going on with their pets so they can get back to having them healthy and happy at home with them. That's so cool. So in a, like a five day work week, you have some OR days and some clinic days. Is that how it's set up? Yes. Right now, the practice that I'm at right now, we have four to five doctors. So right now we kind of split it up to each of us having one surgery day um, or one to two surgery days a week. And then we split that up amongst us. And sometimes I'll have something I might turn into a surgery. Like if I have a patient that comes in for vomiting and or diarrhea and I do some x-rays and x-rays come back showing that there's a suspect foreign body and I think there's a foreign body then I'm then prepping to do a surgery that day or if I have an emergency surgery like a pyometra which is um, when the uterus of a female dog or a cat is infected and I have to go in and take it out as soon as possible hmm. then it turns into an emergency that's an emergency surgery that I need to try to fit into my schedule not every veterinary practice is set up this way. It's just how ours is set up out here in Las Vegas. So at your practice, you have clinic space and uh, operating theater? Yes. I have a surgery suite. We have our treatment room where everything goes, everything happens. That's where everything goes down. I have the radiology area that's 
where we take x-rays and where ultrasounds can be performed. We have some wet tables where we do certain procedures like dental cleanings. And if a tooth or teeth needs to be extracted, then we do that at those um, tables. We also have an endoscopy. Uh, we have endoscopy at my clinic. Um, I'm no not way. certified in that or I didn't go to any uh, special continuing educations for that my um, manager did so she's the one in charge of all that for the endoscopy which is pretty cool kind of cool to see that so i'm an anesthesiologist so i Uh have to ask how does that part of surgery work uh well we begin with pre-medding the patient according to the blood work and if we think that patient's a good anesthetic candidate i just kind of generally make sure that they um, on physical exam that they are clear. I don't feel any enlarged lymph nodes. The heart and lungs also take with the normal limit. Of course, we try to do pre-op blood work with everything. Um, we don't generally, like pretty much every surgery has some kind of pre-op blood work. I definitely want to see those liver and kidney values. I want to know what red blood cells, white blood cells, the platelet count um, is like. And from there, uh, there are a few drugs we can choose to pre-med with. Yeah, just kind of, we pre-med them, we um, induce them, intubate them, and get it going from there. They've got to shave and make sure we have some good surgery margins for whatever procedure it is. Sometimes I have to warn owners about that because then they get a little fluffy back and fluffy may not be fluffy <laughs> in certain areas. And they're like, what happened? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got to shave it. <laughs> you know, it gets right. hair is dirty, it gets in the field, it causes more infection, and I'm trying to that and so like 99% of people understand they don't care um there's a few people who are like hey wait don't shave so much I uh, don't make any promises so I like wide surgery right. margins the hair just I hate if hair gets in my way I'm like you know annoyed while trying to have a pedicle or something we don't have like an anesthesiologist on staff so basically I'm like an anesthesiologist it's me and my veterinary nurse um, and then I also have veterinary assistants that are trained in monitoring anesthesia. So okay. before the surgery starts, I'm like going over the protocol with my nurse and or assistant. And once I'm in surgery, if something's going on, they're constantly communicating with me. And then there are times when I'm like just communicating with them. I'm like, hey, how's the patient doing? What's going on? Like, let's communicate just in case. Someone's just like writing down numbers and they are, it might be someone who's new. They might be afraid to say something. I'm like, no, it's okay. Let's communicate. Let's make sure we're always like talk about what's going on like every so often. So, and then after the procedure's done, uh, my nurses are the ones that usually um, extubate and make sure they're recovering fine. Make sure they don't need, uh, or if they do need a heating source, they're making sure that the temperature is constantly being checked or they don't need it and taking it away and making sure that we have medical collars, those e-collars, the big cone, cone of shame <laughs> yeah. that has to go on everyone because we don't want them waking up and then starting to lick at their um, incision or whatever they had done. So as far as I know you're, I know in human medicine, like there's an anesthesiologist at everything for everything, but in veterinary medicine, um, a vet kind of like serves as like every doctor, at least in a GP practice, like in general, as a general yeah. practitioner. And that's what I am. But there are specialties within the profession. So there are veterinarians who are anesthesiologists and they like, 
I sometimes if I don't feel comfortable putting a patient under anesthesia due to comorbidities or they have like um, some kind of cardiac issue, um, I try to refer them to a specialist uh, or to the specialty center where they can work with um, a surgeon and an anesthesiologist at the same time so that more can be done for that patient. Because as a GP, I only have certain things on the shelf at my clinic, whereas specialty mm-hmm. centers, they have a plethora of things and um, they just have more tools in their toolbox to work with for patients that have comorbidities and stuff like that. You're a one woman show at your clinic. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, woohoo. And then sometimes I'm like, well, most of the time I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. <laughs> this is hard. And then, you know, we just work together as a team and get it done. I've always had great mentors out here in Las Vegas. So that's one of the reasons why I came out here. I heard about the mentorship, how good it is. And we're always helping each other and learning new things and making sure that we're doing the best we can for our patients. So cool. So most of your patients are like cats and dogs or yeah. most of my what else? So most of my patients are um, cats and dogs. Um, there are other veterinarians that do more of like a mixed practice or they'll see um, pocket pets pets, exotics. My managing doctor does not like snakes, so we will never have a snake in the clinic while she's there, (laughs) at least. But I do cats and dogs. Um, Sometimes I like to call myself a pediatric veterinarian. I'll do kittens and puppies. Those are the fun ones. When they're not sick, when they're just there to get their routine checked up, it's fun. But there are some veterinarians that uh, like to go down the route of uh, equine medicine so they're working on horses day to day some veterinarians like to stick with large animal only and they're working with cattle uh the bovine cows bulls and um, there's different specialties uh where people will see a plethora of different a range of animals i just stick to dogs and cats because that's what i like and that's what i'm gonna do yeah so with the different specialties like what other types of subspecialties are there like many so there's anesthesia uh, there's also animal welfare, there's equine medicine. So animal welfare and shelter med, I kind of put them with the same, but um, at the same thing, in, in shelter medicine, you're mostly concerned about populate, like, you know, the population of the animals. But yeah, there's a lot of different things. There's ophthalmology. So there are veterinarians who focus on the eyes for all species. Um, nutrition, mm. internal medicine. And with internal medicine, there are like, I guess, a sub subspecialties, if you want to call it that. There's cardiology, neurology, oncology. Oh, wow. There's emergency and critical care. There's dermatology. And it's so funny sometimes how, like, I see a lot of derm cases out here in Las Vegas. And sometimes I have to consult or just straight up refer a patient to one of the dermatologists. And um, sometimes I'll have clients, they're like a dermatologist, so I have to make an appointment with, I'm like, no, 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 there's a veterinarian, <laughs> someone who went to school for four years like me, and then they went to school longer and um, decided to specialize in the skin. And it's not just like specializing in the skin, they learn a lot about the immune system to figure out like why the skin is reacting that way and what else could be going on and how what they can what kind of medications will work for that patient um so i'm like there's a veterinarian who's a dermatologist and there's gosh just so much there there's pathology it's the same like in human medicine all like majority of the specialties in human medicine you can find in uh, veterinary medicine but 
we don't we definitely don't have as many emergency critical care there's laboratory animal medicine um i know quite a few um people who go into that what else am i leaving out pharmacology it's not like we have a pharmacologist at like a hospital they just they mostly like work with um drug companies and um do research and help me people like me figure out how to um practice good veterinary medicine there's radiology uh, they're great because they help people like me interpret the little things on the radiographs i mean the first time i took uh, a radiology class i was like oh my gosh it's just gray i was like i don't know what i'm looking at <laughs> like it's right. black white gray and um but they're really good at picking up those on those patterns and helping people like me diagnose patients properly and then there's also therio so therio genealogy I consider them like the OBGYNs of veterinary medicine. They deal with a lot of reproductive veterinary medicine, hmm. large animal, farm animals, equine, aquatic, vets who work at zoos mostly. And then there's also people who do integrative medicine. So we have veterinarians that um, do the acupuncture, or traditional Chinese medicine um, certifications, and they learn to integrate that into their their practice to help their patients. Wow. Within that, they sports rehab um, or rehabilitation in general. And there's also surgery. Uh, you have the surgeons that focus on orthopedics and surgeons that focus on soft tissue. Um, so when I get cases where they have multiple bony issues going on, like the hips look bad, the knees look bad, you know, it's just all bad. I'm like, okay, you need to go see um, one of the surgeons so they can give you the proper treatment plan moving forward because it's not good to try to do all correct all these things surgically at one time sometimes it's not i just tell them to go to the um surgeons so that they can be properly informed that is uh incredibly robust i, I guess i've never fully thought about it but yeah veterinary medicine has all of the all these subspecialties yeah pretty much it's kind of cool the thing about the specialties is so like i'm a gp i went to school for four years and I chose not to do any kind of internship um, or residency. I decided to go straight into practice. The veterinarians who want to do one of these specialties, they have to do, most of the time they have to do a rotating internship. So they rotate through different departments within like a veterinary school or like a big um, specialty center. Okay. Uh, they're in internal med and surgery and derm and radiology, rotating through. Um, so kind of, kind of sort of being like a GP, but on a different level. And um, from there, they apply for a residency. And uh, once they get that, they're dedicating like three to four years to anesthesiology or um, to equine surgery or ophthalmology, dermatology, one of those specialties. So for you, Dr. Alexander, when did you decide that you wanted to be a veterinarian? Um, so, I mean, growing up, I was told to like trying to be a doctor or a lawyer, which I was like, okay, I guess. Um, and I always liked medicine, always liked science. And then I was like, well, I really like animals. I used to always watch some kind of little animal documentary on like the Discovery Channel or something like that. And um, as I got a little bit older and I saw like an announcement for volunteers being needed at the zoo and the aquarium. So I started volunteering at the aquarium in New Orleans. And that was like my first real experience with animals and working with them and talking to the public about them. 
So I was like uh, 12, 13 doing that. Did that for a little while. Like in, co- in high school, read about trying to be a veterinarian. I was like, wow, this is going to be hard. Okay, I'm up for the challenge. Let's do it. And um, got my first job at a veterinary practice when I was like 17. It was pretty busy. There's a lot going on. I'll never forget, like that day, there was a cat that was blocked. So sometimes cats, usually it's a male cat, if they go a per- through a period of like like 24 hours of not really urinating, they become, that, that means they're a blocked cat. Um, they can't urinate. They have um, okay. a very inflamed urethra, uh, lower urinary tract. Sometimes it could, might be stones or sometimes it's just really inflamed tissue down there. And I was watching a veterinarian trying to unblock the cat. And it was kind of gross. (laughs) I was like, okay, it was, there were like weird smells everywhere. Everyone like, I wouldn't say they were, they were running around, but people were just busy doing their jobs. And 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 that made you want to do vet medicine. I thought it was gross. And they were like, do you still want to work here? Cause it was kind of like, they knew I was young and they were like, oh, young, like teenagers come in and now they say they want to be a vet. They do this for a day. They don't, then they're like, oh, this is gross. I don't want to do this. And I was like, no, I do. And then after that, I was just like, okay, I said I was going to do this, so now I really got to do this. And just, like, you wow. know, tried to learn along the way, like, different things about veterinary medicine. So, you know, so it helped me get into vet school. And once I got to vet school, I was like, okay, I guess I'm here. Cool. So so where did you go to college? Um, For college, I went to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. I did that for, like, four years. I ended up double majoring because... So, like, for veterinary medicine, you can do, most people will do, or some people will do just straight up biology or biological sciences because it helps fulfill most of your prereqs for professional school veterinary medicine. Or if you want to switch it up and do something else, then you can apply to dentistry or dental school or medical school if you decide to change. Um, Mm -hmm. But some colleges, usually your agriculture colleges like LSU's and A&M, Texas A&M, colleges that focus have like a focus more more of a focus on agriculture. They'll have certain majors like animal science or dairy science or some kind of like animal and science. And so I started taking those classes. Um, along with biology, and I realized I could fulfill both at the same time. So I was like, well, let me just do both. Um, That way I can learn some things about animals that I didn't know about and also pick up other classes and have like a stronger science background to be ready for vet school um, um, for whenever I, you know, go. And what's cool about the animal science classes is that I didn't grow up on a farm or in a rural area. I'm a city girl and I like the city. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like there are, there are quite a few people in the profession who did grow up in like a rural area or semi-rural area. Their grandparents had a farm or something like that. And so they came in contact with large animals, uh, cows, bulls, um, horses, um, goats, chickens. So they had more contact with those kind of animals and, more comfortable about them, with them, um, knew more, knew some things about them. Because, I mean, if you're going to have a farm, you can't, you have to know about your animals mm-hmm. um, how to take care of them, husbandry, and that kind of stuff. And so 
since I didn't grow up like learning that in college, that's when I started learning a lot more about that. And I found it fascinating. I ended up doing a little bit of research at the dairy farm at LSU when it was there. Um, so that was interesting. So from there, I took like a year, year and a half off after I was done with college because I was like very done with school at that time. And from there, I decided to do a public health degree. So I went to um, the LSU School of Health and Sciences. I went there to get a master's in public health. And that's, that was like so much fun. I really enjoyed that program. And from going from there to vet school, my focus was to try to be a public health veterinarian. And that's also like a specialty within veterinary medicine. So there's hmm. some, uh, there are a few amount, a good amount of vets that work within the public health sector or the government sector. Um, some vets work in policy and they, um, uh, they're at the USDA uh, working on like trade uh, food animal stuff. Um, some vets work in the Department of Homeland Security, um, uh, working with, some of them work with dogs and horses with that, and some of them just work on like science policy. Um, other vets that work uh, within um, public health will, they, they're either like a state vet or working right under the state veterinarian. Um, um, trying to track and control and perform surveillance on disease and outbreaks in, in animals. Um, I'm more so like a dog and cat within a dog and cat part of the um, veterinary medicine, but mm-hmm. they, the public health vets, they also work with uh, farmers and um, uh, well, I guess mainly farmers um, and other people within the state when it comes to managing and controlling and performing surveillance on certain um diseases uh like rabies we don't really see a lot of rabies cases um like how they used to back in the day but um public health vets will perform perform uh surveillance on that making sure it's um under control most of the time rabies is like um being attracted like through a bat or exposure to a bat but uh we have we have laws in place to make sure it's controlled within our um, pet populations. And um, so they'll work with that and try to think of what else. This is all stuff that I was like really into. And yeah, I'm still, I still am into it. It's just, I was super hyper-focused on it when I first started vet school. So I just had like a list of things I was going to do. And probably like six or eight months before graduation, I decided to, switch it up and do general practice for a little while, um, which was hard for me because I didn't focus on small animal. I focused on yeah. trying to do public health. And at the very last minute, I switched it up and I was just like, okay, now I have a lot to learn before I graduate. And um, even after <laughs> I graduated, I was just, I would like go home and try to like figure out what I was like not doing or what I thought I wasn't doing right. Um, or trying to just read up on things so I can like just have it, have a better recall of it. So, Dr. Alexander, how was the application process to vet school? And then can you just tell us kind of what veterinarian medicine school is like? So, for the application process, I applied through um, an application called the ZimCast. Um, it's an online application. 
that you go through and you kind of pick which schools you want to um, send your application to and make sure you fulfill their prerequisites. For the most part, they all require the same thing. Some want a little bit more. So when I was an undergrad, I was trying, I was thinking about, I wanted to keep my options open. So besides LSU being on my list of schools I would like to go to, um, I there were other schools that I thought would be a good fit for me. And um, uh, that's another reason why I decided to do biological sciences, because it allowed me to fulfill the prerequisites for other schools that mm-hmm. LSU, um, um, classes that LSU didn't require. Um, so it's a long application that opens up in the beginning of the summer, and you just kind of have to just get it done. Um, one of the most important things I think that I did before I applied was I kept a log of every animal experience I ever had since like I was 13. Um, wow. And I was doing this since high school. Um, when I was applying to colleges, I had uh, a mentor who asked me about having a CV or something like that. And I was like, what's that? And I know what it is now, but like back then I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't, and he was just like trying to, uh, I guess like, you know, groom me and get me yeah, ready for my you. applications. And, and um, ever since then, I just always kept that CV and would add things to it, take things off and um, uh, make sure I kept a log book of it. And while I was in undergrad, I was a part of the um, pre-veterinary club at LSU. So for anyone who's interested in veterinary medicine, definitely try to get into one of those clubs because there are people who can really help you make sure, help make sure that you're doing the right thing along the way. And um, with them, whenever applications came up, they always had like a meeting or two dedicated to that. So I just took note and that was one of the things, make sure you write down all of your animal experiences and how many hours, when it happened, who it was with. That was probably the longest part of me putting my application together. Along with my, mm-hmm. my essay, um, like letter of interest of why I wanted to go to vet school and, um, my letter of recommendations, I think they required like three. And I, I always try to like have more than that, unless it's an application that says do not send more than three. Like we only want okay. three, but I always, um, um, ask for more because sometimes things happen and someone may not get it in. Um, that happened to me one time on a different application. So I don't play with that anymore. That's usually due somewhere between the end of September and early October. Once that's that's done, it gets sent to the schools, and from there they start grading the applications, um, ranking them, trying to figure out who should get an interview. For me, I like everyone interviewed when I was applying. I think now um, LSU does early admissions, where if they think you're a good fit for the program, they will accept you early without an interview. I believe that I know back when I applied, everyone got a pretty. I wouldn't say everyone. Most Louisiana residents got an interview, and um, mm-hmm. definitely the out-of-state students who were applying were who were a good fit for who are, who they thought were a good fit for the school. They got an interview, and so the next step after application is in is you wait for your your email that says you're going to get an interview. You go for your interview. You know, try to make yourself shine. Talk right. about yourself your animal experiences and I remember when I had my interview I like tried to I like research every question that could possibly be asked they're usually on some blog posts out there on the internet and I tried to 
pre-answer the questions so that I could just be prepared, ask people who were like a year or two above me already in vet school, how the interview went, what they recommended. Um, I always stress mentorship to people, especially in veterinary medicine, because some like some things that aren't out on the internet, there are students now or people who are about to graduate, they've created YouTube channels to better help um, those who are trying to get into vet school or who are trying to follow their steps. And I think that's great. Um, I don't have one, but if people reach out to me, I can easily like just point them in the right direction and tell them what I did. And uh, there's one, there's one student uh, she was an undergrad when I met her. I straight up gave her my whole application. I was like, here's a copy of my application that I huh. did. And I had it printed out. I had it ready. I was like, I had all my those questions that I answered. I have them all together. And I just put it in a folder. And I was like, this is everything. This will help you. And let me know if you have any more questions. So I definitely do that for everyone. I can um, help. I know how to help people get in. because, And I don't mind doing that because people help me. So, and it's, it's, oh, I was going to say vet school is not the easiest to get into. There are more vet schools now than when I applied. There's just a couple more, but there's still like less than 35. I think now there's like 32 in the U.S. Wow. Um, or 32 that are like accredited. Um, and there's a couple that got added on. I, but way less than a number of medical schools. So it's like when I was trying to go to vet school, all I heard was like how hard it was to get in. It's like it's super hard to get in because there's not many of them. There's not even one vet school in every state in the country. So you're competing with a lot of people for a spot in like a class of, at the time I applied, we were like less than 80. But now I think there are like most vet schools have like 100 spots now. So a little bit more than you than they used to be, but still not a lot. Like in Louisiana, it's just LSU, and there's a con- we have a contract with um, Arkansas. So nine spots are for Arkansas students. Two spots, I want to say two spots are for students from Puerto Rico, and so those are that's like eleven spots right there. That's not guaranteed to a Louisiana person, a person from Louisiana uh-huh. or out of state. Jeez, so. So when you get in, it's it's a four year program. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is that program set up and structured? They're all structured a little differently, um, just a little bit. Usually, you start off with your didactics in the first year or two. Sometimes, uh, or some schools have been trying to incorporate uh, more hands on learning, like within the second or very beginning of the um, third year. When I was in vet school, it was classwork. Um, first year, second year, third year, a little bit more hands-on stuff. Our clinics um, didn't really start until halfway through third year. I'm sorry if you hear barking in the background. That's my roommate's dog. They're kind of oh no, it sets the tone. <laughs> They're doing a lot right now. <laughs> I'm like, we didn't hear animals. Sorry. Like, yeah, are are you yeah. even a real vet? Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm more of like a one animal. <laughs> person i started off like just doing classwork in the beginning starting at 8 a.m to like 5 p.m every day and the first year was like anatomy lab so it's like class all day anatomy lab all night (laughs) i know in human medicine you have to know about the human body 
like that's like this one structure, one species. And in veterinary medicine, depending on how the anatomy class is set up, schools vary from anatomy one one school to the another. Their anatomy departments vary, but for the most part, you got to know about dogs. Got to know about the cats. You got to know about um, your bovine, um, bull, cow. And um, you got to know your equine anatomy. Mm-hmm. And then in, in between there, there's like something about sheep, something about goats, something about a rat, because you need to know that. So um, you need to know about a bird. Um, birds are kind of simple, so no one really stress. Like they're not, in my opinion, their anatomy is simple. Um, but uh, dog and cat, that wasn't, it, it was bad, but it wasn't too, too bad. Then when we got to, like the large animal, I was just like, oh gosh, like we're in there just trying to, you know, dissect a horse. And that's not easy. I'm trying to get through all those layers, find the, the right vessel you need to trace trace, and go from there. So that first year was long and tough. Second year, more classes, more tests, average of two tests a week. And you just push through until the end, and you're like, yeah, I'm done. And then you start up again a few weeks later and push through to the end. Third year was a little less stressful just because, I, like, you're there. You're used to it. You're like, okay, this is it. This is what it is. Like, so um, you just do what you need to do, and then you get to clinics, and that's a different kind of learning curve. So you're there, and now you need to apply everything you learn from, like, year one to year three and a half. And we all – well, some schools will track – some schools kind of push people to focus on small animal or and or large animal and take those rotations. At LSU, I was able to spit, pick a special track. My track was public practice. So I wasn't on clinics a lot, maybe like half the time. Like I was on clinics and I would leave and go do an externship like with a, a veterinarian who was focusing on food policy. And then I would come back and have to do um, clinicals and then I would leave again and go do another externship. So um, that so my veterinary experience was or my clinical year experience is very different than your most your traditional um, veterinary student just because I didn't focus on I didn't focus on animals I kind of focused on public health and policy yeah. and trying to figure that out until the very end. Then I was like, okay, let me focus on animals before I graduate. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's awesome. So what, what would you say to students that are considering becoming veterinarians? Um, what I would say to them is to, like I always tell students or I try to tell um, students to write down their why. Um, like, why do you want to be a veterinarian? Um, seeing that you love animals, that's cool. That's great. But like, it's the profession so much more than that. Um, and you kind of need to like dig a lot deeper to like stay the course and stick it out. Um, I love animals, but there are times when I like, I'm always seeing an animal in some kind of pain and suffering. And if you can't, if that's not Mm -hmm. something that sits right with you, then you kind of have to like dig a little bit deeper or, I mean, some people kind of just choose to do research. And that's fine. Like, I love people who do research. They help me figure out how to practice. They help me know what I need to know to tell um, my clients. Um, But figure out your why and then seek out um, experiences with uh, people who are working with animals. Um, So I was lucky enough to 
get a job at a veterinary practice when I was in high school for a little while. And um, I got that job through a teacher who was like, oh, go check out this vet and see if he's hiring. Because if you want to be a vet, you should go work at a vet clinic. Like, it's very, like, important to seek out those experiences so that you understand um, the profession and um, get a little taste of medicine. And it just helps things stick along the way. Um, and it also helps you with uh, reminding you why you want to do what you want to do, seeing someone um, um, working in that job every day. So... I just thought it was super cool to um, see the doctors like heal animals that can't talk and uh, can't tell them where the pain is. Um, yeah. And um, so that that's like number one. And don't stop with like the first person. Someone may tell you no. I've been told many no many times. And then I just move on to the next person or the next um, job, the next offer. Um, and there are times where I just had to volunteer and I was like working for free. I wow. did that a lot. <laughs> um, there are people who kind of just take advantage of the young vet or pre-vet student who, uh, really, really wants to get into vet school and will do almost anything to get in. And, and that includes working for free. <laughs> um, so I did that. Um, uh, and it, it was what it was. Um, uh, I I still value and cherish those experiences. And um, what else did I do? I I always encourage people to do a little bit of research as well. I think it's a, stressed a little bit more nowadays for um, students who are applying to veterinary schools. Uh, back when I was applying, it wasn't stressed too much, but I like research. I thought it was cool. And it gave me the opportunity to be um, at the dairy farm working with um, bull calves or just the dairy calves in general. Um, and I would have never gotten that experience if I wouldn't have went into research um, mm. or did a research program at LSU that offered that opportunity for me. Cause I didn't, I didn't grow up around, I didn't grow up on a farm. I did that before. So that gave me that kind of experience. So if it's something that, yeah. you know, you can't get, like while you're in high school or something like that, once you get to college, there's more that's out there that you're able to um, get involved um, with. Um, I also volunteered at a local animal shelter when I was in college for a while. And that's something I didn't care about getting paid for. That was fun. So, you know, as we start to wrap up, what are some things that you really want the humans you interact with as they bring their their pets in what do you want them to know about dealing with a, a vet like we have compassion veterinarians are very compassionate um to the point where a lot of people experience compassion fatigue and um some people get kind of down when we come in with an, an estimate and we start going over the price of everything in human medicine you don't always see the bill you're at the doctor, they tell you what you want to do. You're like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, fine. And then later on, like their insurance, they pay their side. And then if you have insurance and then, or you stuck with the bill and you pay your bill. In veterinary medicine, not every pet has um, pet insurance. There is pet insurance out there for pets, but um, like, I don't know, maybe like a third of the client or um, patients I see have it. 
Um, so that means if if Fluffy comes in for vomiting and having some diarrhea and I need to run blood work and x-rays, like at a minimum, they're going to spend $500. And sometimes, like it sucks, oh. like I don't always want to talk about the price, especially right now during a pandemic where people's jobs are just like on the line or they just don't know um, if they're going to still have their job in two weeks or three weeks. Um, but um, it's just a part of you the gotta have up. your job in two or three weeks. So yeah, it's and it's not even like oh, I need to like pay the bills around here. I'm like, it costs money to run labs. It costs money to take an X-ray. Pets are they're more family, like a family member these days than they were back in the day. People didn't always think of their dog or cat as um, a living creature that needs to see um, a, a, a doctor every year at the minimum, but they should come see us. They should get their teeth professionally cleaned at our clinics every year. Um, they should be getting their teeth professionally. They're, they're living creatures that need to be cared for. And while I may come in talking about the price, just know that I'm always advocating for the pet, so. Yeah. Well, let me say you have expanded my knowledge of veterinary medicine like a thousand percent just in the last hour. I feel like I just only scratched the surface. I'm like, there's so much more. I need to say this, I need to say that. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to get off track. I don't want to like start rambling. <laughs> Where can people get a hold of you or, or find you if they have questions um, about veterinary medicine? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't talk that often, like at least not right now. Um, but I'm I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you, if anyone hits me up on Instagram, I'll um, respond. Like, I'm always available to help. I'm on Instagram at DrDR underscore Derica, D-E-R-E-C-K-A. Yep, that's me. And if anyone has any other questions, they can definitely hit me up. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Black Doctors Podcast. I know our listeners have benefited greatly from the things you've shared. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.